You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. <laughs> a dramatic introduction to the it show. Was. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kate, for that show. Yes. Women's footy, get behind it. We were talking a little bit on air, uh, off air, pff, not on air, before, and I said to Rob, look, often we think these camps are diametrically opposed, but I think as a sports fan, geeks and sports fans do have a lot in common. Hmm, so saying, Passion. All I know about it is they play sports in Harry Potter and... <laughs> You know, and, and, and Battlestar Galactica, they had a, a game and <laughs> that's about it. I'll get you yet, Rob. I'll yeah. get you along to an no, NFLW no, game. You know, um, if there's swords and shields and stuff involved in it, uh, I'm up for that. I know how all that works. Bit of laughing. Got to get to Marvel Stadium just so I can go to the shop. That's how I'm going to get you there. <laughs> Take you to Marvel Stadium. I wonder if they've got anything good. Let me know. Somebody out there knows that uh, if they've ever, you know, gone to see some sporty thing there do they have like lots of merchandise in the shop that well i haven't get? been there since i i've only been when it was um eddie hat so i haven't been yeah. since it's been refurbished and such so i haven't actually been to the store but i will report back rob and i've never seen you wear an eddie hat or anything like that with merchandise on it so i don't know anyway this is <laughs> zero g <laughs> science fiction fantasy and historical radio for episode number one two one nine it's entitled three godzilla with every purchase our podcast title is Mary Poddens, and I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And I've got to take my hat off to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the new youngest, I think, youngest uh, senator in the US Congress. And she's been copying a whole lot of crap, a lot of misogynistic nonsense from mm. dinosaur Republicans, you know, the... Uh, the blobby gops, and they've, um, uh, you know, apart from focusing, she they, they 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 played a video that she made in college about where she did a little dance. Yeah, it's like a Breakfast Club homage, yeah. which in a lot of people's eyes made her way cooler. <laughs> yeah. So good luck with that. Yeah, but anyway. But so, the point is that shouldn't be happening at all. No, regardless. of course not. It's obvious. Uh, and. Um, there was a Twitter thing back and forwards about that. Eventually, it came into um, uh, she she tweeted a comment to quote Alan Moore: "None of you understand. I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me." <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, the, all, all of our geek heads sort of went. Yeah, it's like if you if you <laughs> think you can't love someone more, then they drop a Watchman quote. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> All right, now, uh, happy news here. Fantastic Four wedding special from Marvel Comics. Oh. Even if it is wrapped in black bands um, marking the passing of Stanley, mm. uh, and including the first couple of pages of the book are actually oh. done in black with a picture of Stan. Uh, now, this is a fairly hefty comic book. It is the special 650th issue of the Fantastic Four. Wow. A super team dear to my heart, even if I haven't stuck by them over all the years. Well, I think, and in their foray to movies, has let us down, let's mm. be honest. Yes. But, you know, that aside. The, this is the wedding special. 
So who's getting married? Okay, uh, Alicia Masters, a blind sculptress who is the girlfriend, fiancé of Benjamin J. Grimm. The okay. Ever-loving, blue-eyed thing. Mm. Uh, And this has been a very, very long time in coming since the original days of the Fantastic Four back in the 1960s, essentially. Uh, And the running gag throughout this whole thing is that whenever the Fantastic Four have a wedding or anything at all like a public event... Shenanigans happen. There's always going to be supervillains targeting it. Yes, always. And so Ben Grimm doesn't want that happening at his wedding, so he makes sure it's all very low-key, but not low-key, and that uh, nobody shows up in uniform or costume. or He's not even inviting any capes to the wedding. (laughs) Uh, So he's all trying really hard not to have anything go wrong. Oh, and and that all goes seamlessly, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, It's uh, it's got two, uh, three stories in it with, um, uh, Dan Slott and Aaron Cuda doing the artwork for the first one and the oh, writing. Nice. Michael Eldred and Laura Eldred, a, a team who are doing the honours for the second one. Uh, Adam Hughes and VCs um, uh, Joe Kamagaja, who's a letterer there. I always like to mention letterers, doing the third one. And there's lots of other um, shout-outs to different people. And, of course, there's like about 50 different variants. But I, I chose the one with um, Alistair and, uh, and, uh, and, and Ben um, on the cover with the, the heart around them being made by Mr Fantastic's arms, stretched Aww, arms. Oh, that's pretty nice. And then a flame ring by uh, Johnny Storm. As well, all working together, all working together, and, and doves and stuff. And Ben's wearing his little—I um, can't remember what the—the um, uh, uh, the Jewish skull cap. Uh, yarmulke. Yeah, yarmulke. Yeah, that's right. And he's wearing that. And um, there's uh, there's different things in here that riff off the previous issue where they had the Super Hens Night. Which of course ended in shenanigans as well. well. Uh, and in this one, we've got. Um, uh, ben Grimm's Stag Night, mm-hmm. which is organised by Johnny Storm. Okay. And Tony Stark's paying for it. Oh. The damages, at least. Right. <laughs> so a quiet night then. No. <laughs> Not in the slightest. Some brandy and then bedtime. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't quite work out that way. But we also get um, a recap of the origin story of the Fantastic Four. Oh. And they've done a, a good job in trying to capture the original flavour of that. And they've also tried to... Um, uh, depict that from Sue Storm's point of view, okay. uh, which I thought was a very good idea, the way they've done it. And also um, the actual wedding itself. And, yeah, there is an interruption, a, mm. a mighty interruption, as you'd expect. But, you know, Reed Richards has got a special uh, wedding present that he's prepared in case right. things go wrong. Which you should always be one step ahead, should yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I actually think this is a really charming issue. Um, it is the 650th issue of Fantastic Four. Uh, it's number five in the current um, arc. And it's a multi-author special, an artist special. And um, I just thought, yeah, this is... The, I felt, Enjoyed it. I felt, you know, the feels for, the, for the big orange rock guy. <laughs> Okay, uh, uh, speaking of superheroes, but jumping franchises and and, um, and companies, Aquaman, the movie, we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. We generally gave it a, yeah, rating. Yeah. I mean, silly in parts, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's about Aquaman. It could have been way worse. I mean, I think they balance the silliness with the smouldering 
uh, you know, with Momoa doing well. his thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, there's a couple of things that I, f- I forgot to mention. Did I say last week how much I liked Amber Heard as Mira? No, we didn't actually talk too much about her, which is probably a shame. I said that I thought she has a really nice presence and that mm. they worked, their chemistry was good. But we didn't talk about it. I think we got, we were a bit all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> it was just sort of treading water in parts. But I, I really liked her performance in Nicole Kidman's as mm. the as the uh, the queen of Atlantis and um, I'm... Well, Princess of Atlantis, mm. uh, and and I thought they uh, they really nailed something with the characters to an extent that they almost eclipsed um, Jason a, a couple of times. I yeah, thought. I think there were some really nice moments, and I do like that idea of having those strong female characters there, but not this big point made about yeah. how they're strong female characters. Also, props to managing to look classy while dripping wet. There were a lot of scenes where they emerge and they're just drenched and. And Still played it. Salt water hair. Exactly. It's like Tony with his um, helmet. You know, the, his hair comes out perfect every and time. And I did wonder: do they <laughs> drench them, or is that some kind of hair gel to make it look wet, or do they just keep having to wet them? The more uh, anyway. Yeah, only the Oscars will know with These, the makeup yeah. and the hairstyle. This is what I miss awards. about DVDs, like the death of DVDs. I used to watch featurettes, directors' commentary, all that stuff, because I had dead. a really bulging social life. They're not but dead. like, are they? Well. I mean, I guess they're not, yeah. but I used to. I mean, I used to engage with that stuff a lot more, yeah. and I don't as much now. Kmart stopped selling them at Christmas. Really? Yeah. I um, mean, JB Hi-Fi still has a thriving trade of that's, that's DVDs big, and stuff, that's, Blu-ray. That's a little bit to unpack there because I, I was doing some antiquing on the weekend. And I did see a lot of DVDs in the uh, mm. in the stores. Not that they were very antique. They couldn't possibly be that antique. But <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I don't yeah. know. You know, I mean, we talk a lot about streaming stuff here and yeah. it does make you wonder if there's a, a future. You know, I mean, immediately it would be, be sort of, you know, prize my movie collection from my cold, dead hands sort of thing. I suppose maybe people just don't make them as much anymore because they're doing more in-the-moment content like Facebook Live or Instagram Story, you know, like for the behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. and things like that. But I used to always enjoy the featurettes and director commentary where they really go into some of that stuff. And you would have found out about the hair. Exactly. I'd, they'd be like, this is how we did the hair. And I'll never know maybe unless I Google it and I'm sure the answer is Maybe right Wayne Enterprises sells Aquagel hair, <laughs> hair treatment products. Look like an Atlantean princess. (laughs) Uh, Okay, now, Australian James Wan directed Aquaman with DC and Warner Brothers undoubtedly having an eye on his ability to both create massively successful franchises in the horror genre as well as invigorate an ongoing action movie franchise with The Fast and the Furious. Mm. They also got his Zite Geek, which is to say a bucket load of genre fish eggs in this film. And I was going through them, sort of looking at them and thinking, geez, props to you guys, there's a lot in here. Admittedly, there isn't any such thing as a superhero movie without a lot of Easter eggs. But I think the first one I noticed straight off was the, the television show being broadcast on the telly. In um, Momoa's dad's scene? shack, yep. yeah, which was a Jerry Anderson uh, underwater puppet show, Stingray, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, there is a Marvel um, undersea character called Stingray too. Actually, I think he's dead now. Well, yeah, that was, <laughs> I think, the genesis of some of the stuff in this. Yeah, and there's a lot of place names that they drop in here, like um, where the uh, where his dad's shack is is uh, Amnesty Bay, mm-hmm. and that, and, and he's got a dog called Salty. It's a golden retriever, and this all comes out of. Um, Jeff Johns and Ivan Rice's uh, run of Aquaman comics, which has been very successful. Okay. Um, 
Oh, I suppose these are spoilers, aren't they? Yes. All right. A responsible person here. Aquaman spoilers here. Oh, yeah. It's been a couple of weeks. I think we're right to go into spoiler zone. There's a a Lovecraftian beast in it, the Carathen, which looks like – which is a very Cthulhu-type creature – uh, when you think oh. about it, I stepped back and looked at that, and I thought, Ooh. "At the end, yeah." Well, this is the, the beast, the you know. eel thing. Yeah, it's like when it's in its full revelation. I'm mm. thinking, "Yeah, this is like one of the great old ones." Um, and I know that that's not just a coincidence because um, Tom uh, Tom Curry had a, a copy of the Dunwich, of the Dunwich Horror in his uh, in his cabin, which is about hybrid fishmen. Saw women. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course, this is just a minor Mary Poppins thing. Um, the Carathon's voice was Julie Andrews. Oh, really? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> it is, isn't that's it? really great. Also, uh, the, the Queen uh, Nicole Kidman's character, Queen Alana, um, she had a little crafted box that she'd made at some stage, like you know when she's mm. in Tom's cabin, and it looked like the mother box. From uh, Justice League. Oh. Yeah. So and she blocked out everything that happened in Justice League. <laughs> Reference. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, and and um, we had the actor Michael Beach playing the father of Black Manta. He was in the, the voice to a character in Justice League Unlimited called Devil Ray. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a few things around about that. But basically DC's got to use Black Manta in this movie and also the guy who did the voice of his dad. Yeah. In the in the in the cartoons, so that's oh. that's really kind of that's some deep cuts. Deep, yeah. Um, as of course we know that um, uh, that uh, J- uh, that um, Juan did the uh, very many horror movies, uh, and that little Annabelle doll, yeah, in the it's shipping not container. In there. Yeah, it's in the shipping container when they're in the garbage patch. That's right. When they go to pick retrieve a shrimp, the the, the ship. Yes. Is that it? Or yeah. a shrimp. It could be that shrimp too. Can't speak today. Yeah. Uh, and, and and later on um, uh, when they're flying in that plane mm-hmm. and the pilot turns around to talk yeah, to Yeah, is that that's some kind of special cameo? Yeah, it's Lee Winnell, James ah, Bond's from the Saw franchise. Partner, yeah. I did hear an Australian accent and I meant to look it up. Uh, the oil rig that's burning in one of the flashbacks is from Man of Steel. Okay. So it's the consequence of an action in right. that. Right. Um, and this is something I, I meant to really talk about last week, but there was so much about it to talk about. The, mm. uh, uh, the environmental theme, yeah. which to me reminded me of what they did with Killmonger mm-hmm. in uh, mm-hmm. Black Panther. So, you know, the Atlanteans being really peeved about what we've done to the – what humans have done to the yeah. oceans, they're not wrong. No. You know, I thought that was a very strong theme and I would have liked to have seen not just sort of... I actually think they could have leaned into it a bit more without it yeah. being preachy. I think they pulled yeah. back a little too soon, to be honest. But I think you're right. That whole idea of them, the sea throwing out, the garbage, the warships, all that stuff, that idea, I thought that was quite nice. And, of course, we all will just went crazy over i mean not just the cthulhu monster but the the uh the the seahorse cavalry and the Mm. shark attack sharks all the special yeah Yeah, all that that sort of stuff those those um effects were done quite well but the one that made me actually go oh my god was topo the musical octopus yeah uh, which is another reference to uh, way back in aquaman you know and i just thought that is so cool i read somewhere that he had thought of that idea and decided he was going to do it after watching Mad Max Fury Road. And he was like, if you can have someone playing a flaming guitar, then I'm going to do this octopus playing yes. the drums thing. Um, we also had um, actor Jimon 
uh, Hansu in Aquaman, uh, and he was um, uh, one character in Prosthetics uh, as the fisherman, the fisherman king. Oh yes, but he was also he's also going to be in uh, Shazam, DC's what, comics movie. What is Shazam? I will tell you in a moment. Pause that thought. Okay. <laughs> and yep. he's also um, got a role in Captain Marvel, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, when Captain Marvel and Shazam are kind of interchangeable names um, across, across franchises. Uh, and in, he was in um, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, as Korath the Pursuer. You probably remember him as a little bionic guy who, um, so when Star-Lord says, I'm Star-Lord, and he said, who? <laughs> yeah, that guy. Okay. <laughs> um, and so he's he's getting across all these different franchises, which, mm. and you can't recognise him mostly. So, uh, and that was John Rhys Davies um, playing the Brian King too, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, um, Sliders uh, actor and uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, you know, so he plays yeah. Sulla okay. in the indie movies. Cool. And also liked that they had Dinosaur Island, which is very Jules Verne, but um, it's also very DC Universe. They've got a, a Dinosaur Island with dinosaurs on it and stuff. I thought that was pretty cool. It was. Of course, it's not as much fun as the Savage Land in Marvel, but nevertheless... Mm. You know, we're not comparing. We're not comparing. No, right. Um, so you want to know what Shazam is? Yeah. I just had a quick Google. It's coming up, isn't it? Well, first off, it's an acronym for a number of different gods mm-hmm. uh, who give, give the, uh, their, their powers to a, a character called Billy Batson. When he says Shazam, he becomes this superhero called Shazam, but okay. originally called Captain Marvel. So they've been a sort of a tussle. It's a little confusing Marvel, for Captain Marvel. No, I just call him Shazam. And uh, Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel is, okay. is who she is. And Shazam is who he is. So that's an upcoming DC movie, I think, taken more lighter than... Uh, the, 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 because it actually is a fairly light-hearted character in a lot right. of ways. Okay, so it's going to be like it's not going. They're not going for a dark. No kind of. If you see the trailer, it's definitely thing. not. You know, it's a it's a, a big Maybe almost a, like a. Remember a movie called Big Little? Um, no. Um, I think there might not be that particular movie, but the concept of having a a young a young man turn into an older superhero. Right. Um, there's a, a thing going on there. Okay, that, yep. The, and that they're playing, it looks to me almost like, which would be appropriate, like some kind of 80s comedy. Okay. So, you know, God. but that's coming out eventually this year. Uh, we'll, we'll actually have a look at um, what's coming up maybe next week or something in, yeah, in cinema. Yeah, um, Yeah, so I just wanted to just swim by those sort of um, Aquaman things again. Do you think that you would watch it again? Yeah, I would actually because Mm. there's a lot in there that I missed. Mm. uh, And and it's... I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a good trip to the cinema, I think. Mm. And I think it's refreshing. I mean, it's not breaking any you know, wild boundaries and it's not doing anything wildly special. And the dialogue's... um, a little ordinary. There's yeah, there are parts of it that are quite ordinary and a bit, you know, yeah. play, paint by numbers. Yeah. Um, but I think there's enough in there to make it an enjoyable trip. And as we said, they got a big boost by having a different environment. Yeah, to, yeah. To set it in. And we said last week that those effects and things, they've done that quite well. It's not difficult to watch. Mm. The underwater stuff no. looks good. I mean, if you like Moa, just go see it for that. I think that's a fine enough reason. Well, I, I, will, I will say no more. I know more about it. Um, 
Anyway, um, I was also looking at uh, what's coming up with anniversaries this year because they seem to cluster. Mm. 40th anniversaries this mm-hmm. year, Star Trek The Motion Picture, one of my favourite science fiction films. Alien. Really? Mm. Oh, yeah, of course, because that makes sense, 70s. Mm. 70s? And 79. Yeah. And Superman, the movie. Mm. Mm. Okay. Speaking of DC, oh, such a lost opportunity there. Christopher Reeves is Superman, uh, Michael Keaton is Batman, yeah, Linda right. Carter is Wonder Woman, all could possibly have come together in a Justice League. But it League did movie. not. No. But I could see it happening. Oh, you mean it, could, it should have. Yeah, yeah it should right. have I'm with in you. that I'm alternate world. But 50th anniversaries, which people, you know, because they like round numbers and 50th sounds so much better, they can start to celebrate the six-man moon landings. Mm-hmm. Um and one aborted attempt with uh, Apollo 13, although they have been celebrating 50th anniversaries of the of the pre-lunar landing missions okay. to the moon. Um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, uh, Easy Rider, True Grit. Well, original. Uh, original. Um, not necessarily more gritty. No. Uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service with okay. um, George Lazenby. Which uh, I think you can stream. They're all streaming. We talked about that last yes. week. The Wild Bunch, Fellini's Satyricon, mm-hmm. um, a movie called The Illustrated Man, which is a not really terrific uh, Ray Bradbury film, but it is 50. The Valley of the Gwangi, which is uh, cowboys versus dinosaurs with Ray what? Harryhausen stop animation. They were making those back then? Yeah, yeah. This is... Um, <laughs> back then. Back then. In the dark ages. Yeah, Ray Harryhausen, <laughs> great stop animator. In fact, the stop animator. And uh, cowboys versus dinosaurs. Cool. It's so Who wins? Cool. Um, everybody wins. When you see we win, some, the audience. We win Cowboys vs. Dinosaurs. Uh, the uh, science fiction space movie Marooned. Mm-hmm. Um, All Monsters Attack. Godzilla Moon. With an exclamation point. Yeah, of Love course. It. And, of course, Bambi meets Godzilla, which is a tiny little short film. <laughs> so people have always been weird is what you're telling me. Yeah. On television, uh, they had HR Puffin stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? So yep. this is Scooby-Doo, 50 years. That's Yeah, that's crazy to me. Along with Dastardly and Muttley and their flying machines. And uh, over in the UK, we had Randall and Hopkirk deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, the Brady Bunch over back in the States. Monty Python's Flying Circus. Oh, yeah. Uh, Night Gallery, a Rod Serling science fiction anthology series. Sesame Street. Ah. Hmm. And in that, and still going, and still going, and the Avengers, the British Avengers, and Star Trek, classic Star Trek, both finished in 1969. So okay. that's sort of a, a thing there. I just thought we'd just yeah, that's fun. Play with a bit of that, and yeah, uh, we should play a track here. We mm-hmm. oh God went on longer than I thought we would. <laughs> um, Aquaman, yep. and this is by Tripod from Goodness. their perfectly good songs. Love it. Well, this is Annie Lee, and I'm Morn Kransky of the Kransky Sisters, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Lock up your meat safe and beware of the machine with the claw. <laughs> oh, dear me. Am I the only one who thinks that there was a slight tone of um, a Star Trek theme in that little bit of music? <laughs> just, just, you know, no. Maybe not. I did hear, like... A little a riff that reminded me of the Buffy musical episode. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what song. Yeah, on the cart, down the idea cart, not the... Uh, oh, on the, on <laughs> not your, the tripod. Oh. Yeah, that was Tripod doing uh, Aquaman. <laughs> yes, no, I didn't. I did not hear a Star Trek thing. Oh, so it's just me. I, I, you know, can't get my head out of it. 
All right. Okay. So we're um, popping, poppins, poppins yes. in. Yes. Yes. So I went along to see this because I was intrigued mm-hmm. as someone who grew up. I should have looked at when did Mary Poppins come out originally. As someone who grew up watching Mary Poppins as a child, um, I was interested to see what they were doing with this. I actually thought Lin Manuel Miranda was more involved creatively than what he actually is. So the original Mary Poppins came out in 96, 1964. So no, I did not grow up with it. <laughs> um, but have you you've watched the original? Um. I think so, but it must have been so long ago. Uh, All I can remember is I can remember um, the iconic umbrella yes, fly yeah, thing yeah, yeah. and also the dance with animated. Sure, uh, yeah. Dick, so Dick Van Dyke. Just proving you haven't lived under a rock for the past six years because that's yeah. all the zeitgeisty stuff I think that yeah. is pretty embedded in pop culture. Um so, yeah, so that came out in 1964, popular children's classic. I used to watch it all the time as a kid, so I know a lot of the songs off by heart, that kind of thing. Oh. Um, Julie Andrews, of course, was the title character, Mary Poppins, one of her famous roles. Dick Van Dyke played her um, sidekick. With, Bert. Yes. 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 <laughs> Chimney Sweep. Yes. With um, what a lot of people tout as the worst attempt at a British accent on film ever, and they're not wrong, probably. <laughs> It's pretty bad. It's borderline offensive. I mean, it's not as offensive as the Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's thing, but it's not great. Um, it's based, obviously, on the children's books that were written by P.L. Travers. Um, and so, but, you know, the main the main kind of nostalgia that people would be holding on to is this Mary Poppins film mm. and all of the associated songs and joy that it brought them as a child. Mm-hmm. Um so they've done this new film. Now, it's not a reboot. It's not like a redo. It is a sequel. Obviously, Mary Poppins this time around has been recast and is played by Emily Blunt, who I quite like. So are you that familiar with with, with her? Anne. Of course. We've seen, we've talked about her before in context of Zero G. Where she exactly. Quite well. recently because she was in A Quiet Place, which she really liked. Mm. Um, so she was cast. She's also done some singing roles before we'll get into that a little bit more but anyway so they've recast emily blunt um as mary poppins and then this story picks up when the children from original mary poppins film Mm. are older how much older adults old one of them's old enough to have his own children wherein our story begins that's actually a fairly common trope when they do this um hook yeah um uh, I haven't seen a Goonies one, but that, that's a good idea. <laughs> Hook is enough. Oh, God, yeah. Hook's so anyway, good. sorry, interrupting um, you. No, no, you're quite right. So that's kind of where we're coming at from this angle. So I knew pretty much nothing about this going in. I was just interested to see Emily Blunt. I wanted to see kind of what they were going to do with it. So I'll give you some of the creative details. So this one is by Rob Marshall directed this. Mm-hmm. Now... We've seen his stuff before. He did Chicago. Um, So he's done a lot of musical stuff. I've seen Chicago. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Did you like it? Um, Yeah, that's all right. I mean, I think it won the Oscar. It's here. I'm not too sure about that, but sure. Um, He did the Memoirs of a Geisha adaptation. That came out in 2005. He also did the film adaptation 9 of a screenplay um, that had Daniel Day-Lewis in it. Have you heard much about that? It's probably not the one I'm thinking of, but which one is that? So, it's sort of, I haven't seen it either, but it's based on the stage musical and it's basically about um, a film director and he's kind of trying to 
he's got all these women in. It's about a man and all the women in his life. That's the second one I was thinking of. Oh, well, yes, it's that <laughs> one. Um, and so that was sort of so, – and he also did – Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Uh, well, it wasn't a bad one. Actually. I don't know. I totally. Those are just a mush in my mind. I don't even know which one that is. That's actually the one that's based on Tim Powers. Well, actually, it's had it's been waved over a copy of Tim Powers' um, um, fantasy book about pirates. Okay. All right. So, and then he's also headed further into the musical territory he did Into the Woods in 2014, which starred Emily Blunt. And so uh, this is perhaps where he's... And Meryl as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Streep. <laughs> and so I think that's probably where he's had a bit of exposure and obviously then cast Emily Blunt here in this Mary Poppins Returns. So that's kind of his chops coming into this. Um, in terms of the music and so on, so David McGee wrote the screenplay for this and insofar as the music, let me just get the names here. So David McGee's worked on this, Rob Marshall and John DeLuca. And then also they have based it upon the Mary Poppins stories from the P.L. Travers stuff. Okay. So it's, it is kind of directly related to source material. And I think insofar as Emily Blunt's portrayal of the character, she kind of tried to do her own thing with hints of the Julie Andrews Version. Ah, okay. So it's pretty much the the same standard story. Um, father, downtrodden, in a bit of strife, widower. Um, sister character, Jane. So they're, they're the two kids from the original. He's got three kids of his own. So obviously then that opens up the whole imagination stuff and mm-hmm. the need for a nanny. Um, Mary Poppins appears at just the right time. Now, our Dick Van Dyke stand-in this time around is played by Lin-Manuel Miranda mm-hmm. um, of Hamilton fame. Oh, yes, of course. And so on. So he's playing the character of Jack, and he is a lamplighter, or they call them, um, what do they call them in his Learys. So that's your kind of uh, other element of class in here to come and give us a lesson about how to live life. So... Ben Wyshaw plays the older version of Michael Banks. Mm -hmm. Um, And he really comes into this with a lot of dramatic gusto, which I personally felt there were some scenes I was like, you are playing this at 100 and everyone else here is going about (laughs) 80. So you probably could dial this a little. We're getting a little dramatic. Um, But he was good. Like, I like him. Emily Mortimer, she's playing Jane Banks, his sister. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is Jack, as I mentioned. Emily Blunt is Mary Poppins. And then I'll mention the kids. So Annabelle is played by Pixie Davies. Nathaniel Saller plays John. And Joel Dawson plays Georgie. And they do a little bit of singing and whatnot. They throw in Julie Walters as sort of a housekeeper character because why not? And um, (laughs) Because if you've got a nanny, you also need a housekeeper. So it's Exactly. And you've got money troubles, but, you know whatever. And then Meryl Streep appears in a very weird cameo scene and Colin Firth Ooh. also plays uh, the bad guy. I'm looking at the car- looking at the other cameo, Angela Lansbury. Yes, they've got some fun cameos in there as well. Um, Angela Warner. Lansbury does sing a little bit as well. And David. that was joyful for me as yeah. someone who Loves Beauty and the Beast and also loves Murder, She Wrote. Um, And then, yeah, they do trot out Dick Van Dyke in a really wonderful cameo that just made me so happy because I love him, also like Diagnosis Murder. Um, And I thought that was really nice. It added a bit of extra um, gravitas. 
Diagnosis murder. I love diagnosis. I remember that. And they used to have double feature, like murder, she wrote, then diagnosis murder. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of the rundown of of the package to expect as you go in. Now, I thought this film was nice enough. It's certainly very, very colourful. And Emily Blunt's costumes are incredible. Like, all of the Mary Poppins stuff she wears is so fantastic. Mm. And, in fact... All of the costumes are really great. I think they really lean in and have this great sense of whimsy in the way they do the sets. They do also incorporate, um, like, the sets and costume design and all of that, the whole creative kind of look. The period sort of fantasy. Yeah, Mm. and it's obviously set during the Great Depression and um, in England. Oh, yeah, 25 years later. Yeah, that works. So, and then they also do incorporate animation again. There's a lot of musical numbers and there's a lot of that kind of twee energy. Um, Anything that you can st- that you you would you were singing on the way out. So this is this is my thing. No, uh. um, that's kind of what I thought was maybe the biggest letdown of the film is that I didn't particularly like any of the songs. I didn't dislike them. None of them were very catchy, and I there was nothing I wanted to look up afterwards. Even a spoonful of sugar won't help it go down. <laughs> we'll see, and that's it. There's a lot of really key so there's so many key songs from the original Mary Poppins. And this is the thing too. So these are all new songs. So it's all been redone so you can go in expecting new stuff and you might like it. I just nothing really grabbed me. Um and certainly nothing is as catchy as the stuff from the original like Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, all of that stuff. Mm. Nothing that really came close. Like there's some fun stuff and some fun scenes and people appear to be having a lot of fun with it. Like I genuinely believe that Emily Blunt enjoyed filming this, but I didn't get as much of a sense of her as a 3D person as I would have liked. Yeah. And I know some people say, well, it's Mary Poppins. You're not meant to. She's not like a deep character with lots of facets. But I just felt it was a bit of a missed opportunity, I think. It just – and it felt really childish. I mean, well, I know it's, it's for children, yeah. <laughs> but – I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm old now. <laughs> did did Yondu play Poppins better? <laughs> yeah. <well. laughs> and I, yeah. Hey, y'all. I'm Mary Poppins. <laughs> so, yeah, just a little disappointed. I think everybody gave it their best. Yeah. The pieces were good. I think Emily Blunt was a delight. I do think she's delightful. She's got a lovely voice. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I mean, he's himself (laughs) i just didn't i just didn't come out of it feeling like i'd particularly i would recommend it Mm. and i certainly don't think it has the lasting power of like a truly great musical um i I think it's a real hard ask what they're trying to do yeah and i wonder sometimes if it's an element of the time like you just i don't know society doesn't let you get away with the same stuff that you could do Mm. a couple of decades ago that people would would enjoy and think and are happy to go along for that ride. I don't know. Less tolerance for some stuff. Do you have um, to? What, are there any post-credit scenes we have to stay for? Any or? post-credit scenes? I don't think so. Okay. No. Um. So yeah, I was a little yeah, you, you a little conf- deflated. You sounded conf- conflicted here. Yeah, I mean. What do you do? It was a yeah, no, nah, maybe. I still think it's hard because I think if you're a really big fan, you might dislike it more or mm. you might have more time for it. Yeah. That's so I think it's a it's a yeah if you think if you're in the mood for something like that. Mm. 
but I would think manage your own expectations, especially if you're a big lover of the original. Um, and I think a lot of that's ingrained in me and I just don't think anything here. I mean, maybe films just aren't as lasting with people as they used to be. God, it really got me think. I've really gone pensive on this one. That went dark really quickly. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I think... You sure you're not from the DC universe? (laughs) Your mother's name's Martha? Um, No, Mary. (laughs) So, yeah. That would make sense, actually. Mary Poppins, Batman, the Penguin. Yeah. There's a whole umbrella thing Mm -hmm. there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're into it and if you like cool set, like if you want to see how they do it all, I think part of the realisation is is quite enjoyable. Mm. Um, but as a whole, I don't think I'd recommend it. So. Okay. <sighs> well, uh, we're going to play our Bowie track for today. And this is actually not Bowie, it's a cover, but it was a good cover and actually did quite well in the charts, even though it was from the... Um, the Wallflowers and it was from the Godzilla 1998 soundtrack. Let's be bad guys. Hi, this is Joss Whedon, creator of Serenity, Buffy and Angel. Welcome to New Melbourne, home of fish, fish-based activities and Radio 3 Triple R FM. Triple R, it's independent radio and it aims to misbehave. Hmm, the Wallflowers there with their cover of David Bowie's Heroes from the Godzilla 1998 original soundtrack album. Not everybody likes that movie. (laughs) And not everybody likes the movie I'm talking about now or the series of anime movies, uh, Godzilla, which has dropped on um, Netflix, the third one of those. We've talked about the other two over time. This is Godzilla 3, The Planet Eater. And this is uh, a sequel to Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle and also Godzilla Planet of the Monsters. And it is um, co-directed by Koban Shizuno and Hiroyuki Sashita. And the basic premise of this is it's the human race encountered Godzilla in the 20th century and he actually overwhelmed civilization. Mm. Um, so all those attacks added up to... The end of the world as we know it. Uh, and a couple of alien races came along just by happenstance <laughs> and helped provide the technology to uplift survivors of mankind and send us out into the stars. Oh. And we went looking for a new home free of the scourge of Godzilla. Now, that didn't work out too well mm. and we began to run out of resources aboard the uh, the starship Aratrum and decided to return to Earth. Oh, because which was a leafy haven waiting for us, right? Well, it was leafy. <laughs> Uh, this is 20,000 years in Earth time has passed in the 20 years in space time. I love that. Yeah, you know, relativistic okay. time yep. dilation. So the people here who are coming back are the descendants of um, human survivors. Some of them are actually children during the evacuation of Earth. Oh. So they do remember Godzilla. Yeah, right, of course, 20 years. Mm. Sure, yep. And they come back with a terrible purpose to... Mm. to uh, they don't know that Godzilla is still alive. Mm. But... That he is, and the indigenous um, survivors on Earth who've changed oh. over time. Oh. They kept their heads down. Okay, uh, have um, evolved and uh, moved on to other things. That sounds 
kind of interesting. It was. This is the thing about these whole three movies. There's a really good core story to yeah. it, uh, which plays with the the notion of what Keiju giant monsters are in an ecology mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what implication they would have if they ruled the world, as yeah. they often threatened to do. Um, and there are other things that are woven throughout Godzilla's um, extensive theatrical career (laughs) (laughs) cinematic career his wide reaching canon yes you know oh Godzilla didn't we see him in Mm. (laughs) that sort of thing Um, but so there's a there's a lot to unpack in the actual story of this and boy do they it's Mm. a very talky series of movies yes and no no more talky than a lot of anime okay yep um, i'm thinking the philosophical depths of neon genesis yeah okay evangelion where they do a lot of this too Uh, and if you've a mind for that but don't go in there expecting you're going to see this giant Godzilla fest of battles and stuff. No. Although there are there are battles in okay. this. Okay, it's more about a, a tell not show kind of approach. Okay. Yeah, actually, I said that to um, my partner Gail last night. There was, uh, I told her that. A lot and of exposition. Show her that. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of exposition. But it's an interesting story. I think they could have got to it in two movies instead of three. Um, they had a big diversion with um, a Mecha Godzilla city, okay. a nanotech machine that really they didn't need to have at all. Um, so yeah, there's a lot in this it's all unpacked with all of the factions once again coming into play and this one this particular story is basically religion versus science okay uh with a surprising outcome in many ways but also a very typical uh, anime sort of um, ambiguity where did you watch it netflix right actually so i I just picked it up one last night um Look, these are not going to appeal to every Godzilla fan. Mm-hmm. I've heard um, reviews say it's the dullest Godzilla movies ever, mm-hmm. and I'm not entirely unsympathetic to that. The fighting could have been done uh, in other ways, sure. cut different ways, but I really enjoyed the characterizations of this. And So there's good and bad in this okay. one. So you may be in a mood to watch this, you may not, but you do need to pay attention. Um, and of course, you need to be able to read it at the time. Yes, because it's it's subtitled. It's subtitled, but it's they don't dub it or anything, do no, they? No, no it's okay. all subtitled. Uh, and actually, there's a problem in, in cases. There are some clumsy uh, translations in there, but that doesn't hurt yeah, really yeah. too much. We're used to that kind of thing. Uh, so it's Godzilla Three, the Planet Eater. Um, there are some moments in it as a Keiju fan that I went, "Oh yeah." Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, you've, you've, real, you've done, you've, you've drilled down in there. You've pulled this from there. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. And, and it actually kind of all makes sense, some of the yeah. things I've been talking about towards the end. Uh, and it actually gives the cage you a purpose. Ah, um, instead of just being like a, ooh, kind of, yeah, I destroy, and a, and blah, blah. And a meta-ecology, which is really quite mind-boggling. Anyway, that's okay. that's it. If, you, if you're intrigued, obviously don't watch this one first. Go back and watch right. the, the And they're three. all available on Netflix. Yes. Yes, I, yeah, they don't get rid of them until they've, they've run their course, really, do they? No, I think they, they do shuffle things off and shuffle new things on each month, mm. but usually they I, they have all these analytics. I'm sure they just shuffle things that aren't that popular. I could play you another track from that now, but um, I might save that. Uh, Quick interjection. Yes. Speaking of things that are streaming, have you watched the new episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine? No, uh, I'm okay. actually. This is terrible. I'm actually. I'm actually a season behind. Oh well, that's good. You've yeah. got a lot to look forward I've got a lot to. to. Look forward to. I did watch some of uh, Titans. Ah, a few episodes of the DC okay. show. Very dark. Yeah. Very dark. I thought a little bit clumsy. 
but still is it an dark. engaging dark or just I haven't found it moody. so so far um, and this is because I'm so steeped in uh, marinated in um, uh, there's a difference <laughs> <laughs> in Luke Cage and Daredevil yeah, right. and Jessica Jones to suddenly shift over to this other dark Whole strand new, yeah um, and the, the dialogue isn't quite as up to the scratch. Wow. Characters are interesting in parts, and we might do that some other time anyway. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, I want to play two tracks here. I think we've got enough room to play this. Mm-hmm. Um, Me and My Shadow, featuring Sarah Silverman and Till Bronner. Uh, and this is by Jeff Goldblum and the Mildred Snitzer Orchestra, and this is his Capital Studio session. This album has just dropped. Um, Jeff Goldblum talks a lot in these but he also uh, plays keyboards i support this decision yeah (laughs) so me and my shadow hello this is paul mcgann i play the eighth incarnation of the doctor and you are listening to three triple (laughs) rfm did you love that he's so good that was the best thing that has happened to me in several days (laughs) sarah silverman till bronner and of course jeff goldblum and the mildred snitzer orchestra from the capitol studio sessions which is an album that's just dropped i am now going to go and look up more of those me and my shadow That was so cool. That's so good. We're going to go with another reference before uh, Michael comes in with standing in for Joe Brunatic on Astral Glamour. And this is the um, the Sound of Silence. Now, this is a cover of a, you know, some Garfunkel hit. Uh, and why I want to play this is by uh, an all-girl group called All Angels or All Women group. Uh, and uh, Charlotte Ritchie is one of the lead singers. Now, we know Charlotte Ritchie. She played the archaeologist that we talked about last week in the um, Doctor Who Resolution ah, special. Ah, yes. And she was taken over by a Dalek in that. And she's a singer and a celebrity singer. So I've now found this. You love a good celebrity track. Yeah. And this is pretty cool. And it's pretty hot out there, folks. So take it easy. Hydrate. Hail hydrate and all of that sort of <laughs> stuff. And this one might chew you out a bit. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Megan. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.